Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on where you are. This is a very special episode, a conversation with Jeff Muller, writer of Ladybug, Ladybug, Fly Away Home, and line editor of the book it's found in, The Things We Leave Behind, the first book by publisher Stygian Fox. Now, we've played two of the games in that book so far, the other being Forget Me Not, which will start coming out next week on our Patreon, right alongside Painting Darkness on our main feed. Jeff was kind enough to take time out of his traveling to meet with us, but because of some internet factors, we had some connection issues while we were getting started. So as a result, Jeff's audio quality changes a little bit for a few minutes near the beginning, but we were able to get it back to normal and continue the show. Just a quick reminder, join us on Discord to chat with other tabletop nerds, play games, and ask questions for interviews like this one. Tell a friend about the show if you'd like to support our growth, We do the show because we love playing and putting it out, but we would still like to grow more, which can afford us opportunities for collaborations, more content, and better quality. On behalf of everyone at Stories and Lies, thank you for listening to the show, and thank you so much for being involved in this crazy project. All right, here is our interview with Jeff Muller. Enjoy. I don't know who they are, but you got to take this along. Implications. All right, so um, so Jeff, welcome to our our, our podcast. If you would just uh, give the audience a little bit of information about who you are and what you do and what your background is. Okay, so hi, I'm I'm Jeff Muller. Um, I'm 58. I presently I live in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm originally from Anchorage, Alaska, and um, I have been writing for RPGs since the early 1990s. Um, I initially, I, I had a few things in, uh, pagan publishing and I took several years off and, um, started up again in the two thousands after I moved to Ohio. And, um, here I am, <laughs> I'm an attorney by trade. We got to make a living, huh? It's got to pay the bill somehow. But, um, yeah, I want to, we want to also know was, um, of course the scenario ladybug, ladybug fly away home is found in. A collection of scenarios, which is the things we leave behind, and and you're you were the editor for that. Can you tell us more about how that came to be and uh, the story behind getting that book out? Yeah, sure. Um, the 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 story actually starts with another book called Lost in the Lights that I did with Sixty Stone Press, and that very few people seem to have heard of. <laughs> it is out. It's a, it, it was, um, it was, uh, put out. It was not kickstarted. It was put out a few years, like in 2013 ish. Um, and it was, um, it, it, it was put out in PDF and I was not to be paid until it went and it, it, until it hit print and it took it. Oof, it, it went in print uh, maybe two years ago. Um, so nobody is very few people had heard of it, seen it, read it. Um, a couple people got a couple of reviews, but during the course of that project, I, I met a lot of, uh, industry freelancers. Um, I met, um, most importantly, well, Steph Worthington at the time, now Steph McAlee, who was the cartographer. Um, I met, um, uh, Dean Englehart, who did the layout, did the handouts. I met Badger McKinnis, who did the layout. Um, I met David Lee Ingersoll, who did the art, um, and I, I did the writing and the editing on it. Um, after that book kind of came out, I, Steph and I stayed in touch, and she had it was she had an idea. She wanted this. She'd been always wanted to start a publishing company, 
um, and um, had uh, had a book idea for doing a modern book, um, which became the things we leave behind. It was Steph's concept to, you know, we were going to do modern scenarios that were kind of fully technologically up to date. Um, and, um, we had, but for a long time, we really only had three scenarios. So it was, in, it was in development hell for a while. We had ladybug, we had forget me not, and we had roots. Um, okay. And roots is a, the, uh, Scott Dorwald story, no, right? Roots is a Simon break. Cyber. Oh, that's Simon. Okay. Um, yeah, that's okay. uh, Helen, Texas is Scott's. Well, ah, that's, that's what, right. that's what shook it loose is that, okay. um, what shook it loose finally is I was like, all right, we're going to do something to get this book out. So I wrote my second scenario, um, my dreamland. Uh, what, what was that? That was, um, uh, it was my dreamland scenario. What the, the night season. That's right. Um, That's right. I, so I just wrote that on, you know, to, to put another scenario in the book. And as I was finishing that up, um, I guess, um, night, I guess Helen, Texas got rejected by chaosium for, for extreme content. <laughs> yeah. Our reaction, surprised. To, our reaction to that was great. <laughs> yeah. we, we have, Come on over. Come on over. And so we had five scenarios. So we, I, I, we decided that that was enough to go to Kickstarter on. And we, and when we hit, uh, when we were, the Kickstarter was doing, I mean, by Kickstarter standards, it, it, it made, it, it was like 12,000 bucks. It was not great, but it was enough that, we had a sixth scenario and Oscar Rios and I are friends. Um, we've known each other for a really long time and we've worked on a million things together. So I reached out to Oscar and asked him to submit something and as a, as a stretch goal. And he did, I got it and I looked at it and I said, Oscar, do you, have you ever watched Kolshak the Night Stalker? And he's like, no, nah, not really. And I'm like, this is a Kolshak the Night Stalker story. So kind of just sort of leaned into it from there. And um, uh-huh. um, that, so that, that, that's kind of how the book came together. Um, like Ladybug was something that I was kind of thinking about doing as my next kind of standalone book. Um, there, 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 there's a much longer version of it in existence oh. um, with a lot, kind of a lot more background and stuff. Um, okay, we got to hear about this. Yeah, the um, but when I when it when it decided we were going to put it in a scenario book with you know several other scenarios, I you know I was like, what do I how do I want to do this? And what I decided to do was to basically kind of jump in like to the story like midway through the second act when the investigators do something crazy and the cops get called. And then I decided, well, who, who the protagonists are basically going to be the cops who get called because the cult called the cops on the investigators who did something really crazy to them. Um, and that was that was so that was kind of the idea of it. If you there's there's a lot of there's a lot of meta commentary on in in the characters of George and Lindsay. Um, it's if you look at Lindsay's stats, especially Lindsay is kind of a meta commentary stereotypical. Call of Cthulhu investigator, and that I mean, she has kind of a background and a skill set, and then she has a huge shotgun um, rating <laughs> stacked onto it for no apparent. Yes. Oh yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is basically you know the idea is that the, either the media, or the cops, or government agents, or whomever um, are are the ones who are responding to an investigation that has just gone south and where people have done something desperate. Mm. That tracks because uh, one question I had for you with this scenario 
is onboarding uh, a Call of Cthulhu party, it just really feels like this is a police scenario. So it is. It, right? it's a, it is. It, it was. It was basically, um, as I said, I, it, I it mashed up a couple of things that I had done many years earlier with the gaming group. Um, the the whole Church of the Passover Angel thing was an Unknown Armies game that I had that I had run. Oh, okay. Um, oh, wow. And um, you know, and then you know, any time, any number of Call of Cthulhu scenarios have have gone the way of of Ladybug when they the investigators get frustrated and they break into the cult compound without having their clues in order. Or yep. they, <laughs> right. oh my god, we've got to do something. Let's grab this little girl and out out of the Walmart to get leverage on them. So that that's mm-hmm. that's what that's what's kind of really going on, at least in my mind, is that. The investigators have now done something stupid and desperate, and now we're going to look at this from the side of all the people who are going to get the call to, you know, do something about it. So, okay, uh, that makes sense. I have a question: What's your familiarity with the Delta Green, um, either as a standalone game or as kind of a, a subset to Call of Cthulhu? Um, well, okay, so uh, I am slightly acquainted with the uh, with the Delta Green guys. Um, I was um, in um, in the, the early '80s. I went to college at Miami of Ohio, and uh, one of my one of my classmates and guy I played Call of Cthulhu with twice a week for four years was John Crow. And John Crow is um, was one of the founding members of Pagan Publishing. Um, he he stayed in touch with. I stayed in touch with him. Um, after I got out of law school, I moved to Alaska. He was in Seattle. We stayed in touch. I'd go down and visit him occasionally. And he was living at the time, um, at right, this is, you know, after college with, with Dennis and, uh, and, uh, Scott Glancy and John. So I met, <laughs> I met those guys. Um, and you know, they were kind of all working on, on Delta Green, this is like the early and mid '90s now. But I, I mean, I, I, so I, I, I don't know them well. I only, I, I've met them a few times. I know them slightly, um, but I mean, I've been, I've been kind of, I've been kind of, you know, watch. I've been, you know, a fan, I guess, since, um, since uh, the early days. Because I, I, I mean, I, sure. I remember sitting around there. I remember sitting around their house talking to them. Hey, what you working on? And, oh, well, we're working on this. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, when did you actually write? Like, when would you say you wrote Ladybug? How long ago was the story? Twenty fifteen. Okay, okay, but it sounded like it was actually in, in your mind, like well before twenty fifteen. Oh yeah. Well, the right? Unknown Armies game that was um, when I was still up in Alaska. So this was the um, this was like around two thousand when the you know if you if you if you look at it from the other side and. Um, the investigators have just discovered the Church of the Passover Angel, and they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. It was an unknown armies game from the late '90s, year 2000, um, and um, it went it, it, it went sideways, <laughs> and uh, as they do, as they do, and um, so yeah. So I, I kind of I, I kind of when I when I was doing Ladybug, I was like, I'm going to pick it up from the we're going to pick we're going to start the story from where it go things will go sideways and 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 look at it all the craziness from that perspective that's fun uh, how much did masks of nyarlathotep influence your story um, oh yeah it was the reason it, not too much the reason i did that though was because um 
I wanted it to be accessible. I, it was it was sort of more meta commentary. Um, you know, here you guys, you know, you most people are used to playing the investigators who have a certain amount of out of game knowledge about kind of what's going on. So I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of grab onto something a little bit familiar um, to ba basically to tease the players. Um, you know, the okay, you're cops. You don't know what's going on. Some crazy person has just is bothering this church. There's they've grabbed a little girl. There's something funny about this church, but um, you know that's not really our job here. Our job is to uh, is to rescue a little girl. What's all this stuff about Kenya now? You know, um, so I, <laughs> right. I, I you know th it was that was deliberate to make it kind of accessible and um, and the, you know it, it, so that you know if somebody picked it up. But one of the things about Lost in the Lights is it's, it's just it's the whole thing is just this cult I made up uh, 20 years earlier. And I, I, I kind of, you know, ream it from top to bottom and explain everything that's going on. But, you know, it's not it's still it's just something I made up. So it wasn't very it isn't very accessible. I wanted something that would be um, accessible and that people would understand, you know, on a, you know, on a, at least on a secondary level what was going on. So, yeah. So that worked great for those guys, but I had no pre-existing knowledge. So it played out the other way for me. They got all excited when they understood that. And I was like, cool, still lost. Oh, yeah. Wes, Wes is brand new to the like Cthulhu mythos and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was an interesting exposure because the three of us, um, Tom, Matt, and I all have some familiarity with all of that sort of stuff. So hearing and seeing some of the signs of you know, the mountain of the black wind or, um, just, just some of these indicators were, uh, were getting us very excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was, that was the, I mean, that was, that, that was the idea is like, wait a minute, you know, and, and, and I've read, I've read a lot of people have commented on online, but I, I, you know, I, I'm very much still in the, this, this should be a very slow burn, um, kind of thing with just little hints being dropped and you should be, you should be wondering what the hell is going on until the locusts show up. So, mm. <laughs> um, you know, a, a, after which, you know, you know, the gloves are off and it's just, you know, what are you going to do about this? That, that makes me happy to hear you say that. Cause I feel like that's the way I, I played this out yeah. and I paced this. Yeah. I um, feel like that too. I was wondering I if agree. you could remark as um, I did take the plagues and I tried to, I really tried to put them into the story and really space them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, did, did, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I have seen, I have seen, um, I've seen most people, I think most people who have, who I, who I've, you know, have, I've seen, you know, run it or listen to playthroughs or read write-ups. Um, they all seem to kind of want to amp up the plagues. And I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it, it's legitimate. It, it kind of, it, it kind of keys people in to, um, to what's going on that much more quickly. Um, when when I run it, um, I, I I am very 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 low key. Um, I just make sure that things get mentioned um, until until the highway scene. I always do the highway scene. Um, and it, but one thing I do with the, when I run it, when I do with the highway scene, is that I make sure that only one person sees it. Only one ah. person sees mm. the angel. And to everybody else, it's just a it's a terrible hailstorm. It's, you know, there's all hell breaking loose, ice everywhere, you know, run off the road, but I only let one person see the angel. And, and I found that that, 
that works very well to kind of like um, to generate conflict within the group and get and really kind of get people. To yeah, fight. that makes sense. Yeah. I can't believe Tom, like I'm just thinking about the highway scene. And now that that was a scene in the scenario, I've never really thought through that. Like he got us, we weren't traveling anywhere and he sure did get us on the road for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Complicated our plans a whole lot. Right. Exactly. Did you, uh, Jeff, did you um, have a chance to listen to our, our uh, episodes? The whole thing. And I, I think that your agents are, your, your, their lifespans are, are very short. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Let me say this. The um, one thing that one thing that I, I tried to stress in the scenario is that the Balfours have very good lawyers and um, the, the 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 trumped up charges that you tried to apply to poor Reverend Balfour, who is just an honest Christian man doing his <laughs> to bring some a little bit of light in this world after he lost his daughter and, and his, his wife disappeared under mysterious circumstances. His lawyers are going to pick those ballistics apart very quickly. He's going to be out of jail. And then, then the question becomes, what's he going to do? Um, because the, 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 you know, he, the God that he worships um, doesn't really care. <laughs> I mean, right. if he finds, yeah. he, you know, if he's out there and if he has, if he has you know, any, um, any understandable consciousness, um, he just finds this whole thing very funny. Um, yep. and so, you know, he, Balfour is going to be out of jail. Um, he's going to be very frustrated. Um, and he's probably going to have another revelation. That would be kind of my thinking, but you guys would hear, it'd be all over the news. Um, the, 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 eventually his lawyers would very publicly question the ballistics on the gun they would challenge yep. the prosecutor to come forward with the gun that shot his little girl. They will search that place high and low. They won't be able to tie any such uh, handgun to him. Heaven forbid if it should uh, if there are similar ballistics floating around somewhere on another killing where they can where they think they can match the slugs and um, yeah. So he's gonna get, he's gonna get out. <laughs> he's gonna get out. But it's interesting. A, a lot of people. I would say, I mean, I've probably literally heard like 20 playthroughs of this. In, in, wow. And um, I, a good bit of the time, they end up killing, killing, killing Regina. Um, you know, but, really? Really? Um, I have so much guilt over this. You have no idea. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they end up, um, they end up, they either, they storm it. They storm the hotel. Sometimes they storm the hotel room. And and Lindsay has to shoot her. Um, sometimes, very often, the hunting whore comes along and rips the roof off. That happens a lot too. And Lindsay gets sucked out into the storm. Um, but I, I, it really is a scary number of times where they where they're like once they once they think they understand kind of what they have to do, and they realize that they're not going to be able to avoid. Um, basically, a raid on their on the on, on the chapel. They shoot her. It 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 it, ha- it happens a uh, it happens a lot. Um, I, I I've been really surprised because, um, yeah, it's uh you know it, 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 they they very you know there, there's there's been efforts to um they always have they always try to cover it up somehow, um mm-hmm. you know accident you've got you know, a firefight or this or that but. 
um, you know, often the, often she just get unfortunately, she just gets shot. Wow. I tried really hard to, to, to save her, yeah. but yeah. Wes my is character not off the hook. Was, Wes is yeah. still not off the hook. <laughs> well, so nope. Jeff, I, I'm curious, how does, how does that make you feel as a writer writing a character like Regina? How does that make you feel to hear her to see so many times that that's her fate? Well, um, you know, it is a, it is a, this is a game about cosmic nihilism. It doesn't bother right. at all. Uh, you know? yeah. um, it is, it is, uh, it is, um, I, I saw, I'm trying to think, I, I read one playthrough where um, they, they, they basically managed to um, extract her from the hotel room and hide her somewhere else. Um, and Lindsay, Lindsay gave her life to enable that, that to basically cause a distraction and enable that to happen. Um, and I think that was probably like the best, I mean, the most heroic, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. that I've seen, but, um, no, Regina, poor Regina does not survive very often in, in this game. Um, she, yeah. she is shot by investigators. She is killed in, you know, killed as the, as, as, you know, byproduct of, of a gunfight. Um, she's blown up by a car bomb. She's stabbed on an altar. She, you know, oh, she. Oh my god! She doesn't live very often. But that was that, and that was kind of. I was kind of under. It was. I. I. It, my sense was that that was that was the likely outcome when I wrote it. I. I think it. I think it really takes. Um, I mean, it, it, to save her, people. I, I think people really pretty much have to sacrifice themselves the way it's written. And yeah, you know. yeah, that makes sense. It's against overwhelming odds, like yeah. the the entire raid. Like, there's no way. Like, we're we're three agents. We're not gonna win, quote unquote, against a, a raid of like 25 people. Right. There's no way. Right. The um the way I see that is um I I, I, t- I tend to I often say this in my scenarios when there's kind of a grand guignol at the end is that mm-hmm. um you know investigators are the best thing that they can do in that situation. Because they're the ones who know what's going on, and everyone else is just is there with jobs to do. Um, yeah. Is that just you know try to take advantage of the chaos? Um, mm-hmm. they stick together, try to take advantage of the chaos, and do one thing. Um, and if and and it, there there's a couple good there, there's a couple good write ups where Regina, they get Regina back, and um, they're, they're everybody is all set up, and the car bombs start going off. And there's mass chaos, but they they kind of um, they are the investigators. A couple of times I've seen the investigators position themselves in the bomb shelter and hide, which is you know, and and wait for you know the shit hit fan, and then basically come from behind as oh, wow. everything's going crazy. And that 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 struck me as a pretty good idea. Yeah, that's smart. Um, the um, another another couple times um, they. If the investigators can manage to kind of keep a couple of their of their members unknown to to the Balfers, um, that tends to play to their advantage because they can like pose as SWAT team members or or news crew, and they can kind of you know, oh wow yeah they can um, they can kind of position themselves at the uh, at the at the at the last scene without people really knowing that they're a major threat and then they can get the drop on somebody. Right. Um, Just blending in and then, and then either leaving with Regina or, or, right. or killing right. John. Right. It, it's slipping in with, you know, if you have an Uzi in your coat, you're posing as a camera crew member and you're trying to, you're desperately fight. You're, you're trying to go the other way with the, against the crowd to get 
actual footage, um, mm -hmm. they're not likely to shoot you um, because they want the world to see. So, right. Um, so yeah. that 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 that's a ploy. I, somebody used it. I thought, yeah, that was that was pretty smart. And then of course they have an Uzi and. God. <laughs> I, I was trying to take John out since I met him the very first time in the parking lot, and Tom just wasn't letting that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's—I mean, he is. Um, John is. Um, John is an interesting character for me, anyway, because, um, and, I, and I've talked about this a little bit before um, in an interview. Um, he is. Um, a very sincere sort of crazy. He doesn't think he's crazy. Okay. Yes. He is um, right. exactly. He he thinks he's he thinks he's the hero of his own narrative. Um, yep. His wife understands a little more about what's going on. She's the kind of a cold blooded one who, um, if um, you know, if things go south, she's basically the her content, the contingency plan is okay. Well, I'm going to go sacrifice myself. So, yep. um, she's it, oddly, it, it's interesting that you took her out because that was, that was, that was actually very, that was actually a, a very good idea because she's kind of the, the one who will square her jaw up and, 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 and do, do the things that need to be done. So it was kind of a, kind of a happy accident. Yeah. But whereas <laughs> Balfour himself, he, 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 he think at the end of your scenario, he is absolutely convinced that he's been victimized by God only knows who. He's going to find out, but um, the forces of the forces of evil have conspired against him, and 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 and, and but he will persevere. Yeah, yeah he's totally. not going to let them win. Of course not. No. no. Right. So I'm curious. Um, you mentioned that uh, uh, his wife Sarah was. She has a little more knowledge about what's going on, or she understands a little more about. Mm -hmm the truth of, of what's going on. Why would she have such conviction to put herself through that? Well, and, and I talked to, uh, I talked because th th that's kind of a, um, that's kind of a, that that's something that is actually, somebody pointed this out to me. Who was it? It was um, Helen Gould um, had a really, I was talking to Helen about it and she had a really good point um, while we were talking about another project. And it's like, they're in the they're 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 in some of these kind of right wing fundamentalist Christian cults. Um, there is, I mean, there it's not like men ruling the women so much as it is kind of a strict a strict gender based allocation of responsibility, and the women are the ones in some of these some of these cults who are like the organizers and the planners. Right. Men are the kind of the talkers and the, the front guys, but the you know the one the one I, I wrote a I did a scenario, um, I did a scenario um, not terribly long ago called another coat of white paint, um, which okay. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's in a, it's in um it's in um it's in it's in Golden Goblin Press book from a couple of years ago. And basically, the, the 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 bad stuff that's going on is 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 kind of a product of a bunch of enablers. And um, the one of one of the enablers is a uh, is a well-intentioned Christian 
um, aid movement who are trying to help these poor people. And um, it, 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 it's, um, it, it, it is, it's a theme. If you read, if you read about the, uh, the psychology of cult, cults, it, it's something that comes up a fair bit. I mean, there's often a charismatic male leader, but um, there are enablers. And without the enablers, um, who are actually usually a lot more kind of coherent and tuned into what's going on, the, you know, the, 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 the charismatic leader is just kind of shouting in the wind. Mm. Sure. That's, that's really interesting because that's, that's a question I wanted to, to ask you. Um, I, I noticed that like, I, I'm not like a, an expert by any means whatsoever, but I, I read, I listened to a couple of documentaries and stuff like that about, about cults and like how they function <laughs> and, and how, how they come to be. Uh, and I felt like the one in, you know, there's in Call of Cthulhu, you've got cults that are like uh, crazy and, and, and like way over the top while the one in in ladybug felt very realistic yeah, to me like it was it was intended to be uh, it was intended to be a kind of a you know a quasi realistic cult anyway uh, yep. if, if the one i did in lost in the lights it, it was kind of another example of that there is a there if, you, if you're familiar with the book if you're not there's a charismatic cult leader Um, he, but he has a lot of help. He has a lot of supporters. He has a lot of enablers. Mm. There are, you know, they're all kind of fleshed out. There are people that he just, if, if those people are taken out of the scenario, he kind of falls apart very quickly. Um, he's, you know, he's ostensibly the real threat, but if, if you take out his second in command, if you take out his, his, his lieutenants, um, all of whom have, you know, all of whom try very hard to kind of keep him on, you know, on point for their own, for their own reasons. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it, what, one thing that you, you find again and again is that the charismatic leader um, will get off point very quickly. And there, there's generally kind of a, a support network of, of uh, people who aren't quote the leaders, but are in, in some ways very much in charge. Right. They they help run the whole the whole gambit right. the whole show. Right, you can't have you can't have you can't have a, a Waco compound without cooks and seamstresses and jurors mm-hmm. and you know and and people watching the children and um, you know guards and you know David David Koresh by himself is is a crazy guy preaching on a street corner. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that actually because uh, we we set our story in Houston um, about. I don't know, maybe six months after Waco, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when it was it was still big headlines as part of our our backstory. Uh, you said the story in Cleveland. Was there any specific reason for that? Because I live here, <laughs> I wanted. I kind of <laughs> wanted to. It was just easier for me to write what I know in terms of play. Yep. It doesn't really matter. The 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 idea. What what I did. W- w- one thing I wanted to do, and it, it's already showing its age a little bit, which. Um, is a little frustrating to me, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast, I guess, is that it made, I, I, when I, when I planned the getaway, I wanted to kind of do one that, um, I could justify in my own mind as being kind of a reasonable, but not, you know, completely foolproof plan that, you know, made sense in the real world. Um, so I, I wanted to use kind of real locations that I was familiar with. One one thing that I think would work even better today is George going in and shooting up the Walmart harmlessly. 
I mean, the whole the whole point of that was to give Lindsay a head start. It's a distra- It's purely a distraction. Yep. He doesn't really want to hurt anybody, but he wants to. Um, he wants to basically, you know, say, "Look at me, I'm an active shooter," and that would work even better today because of all, you know, the the rash of active shooters. Um, the cops would come running from even farther, I think, today right. in an active shooter mm-hmm. situation than they would have in 2015. They'd have, you know, Lindsay would have a, a basically a back alley to us. Um, and, well, and that would that would almost take over the news cycle, I would assume, because yeah. that seems to happen. Right. You know, when the, the kidnapping might fly under the radar, at least for a little while. At least, and that and that's the whole idea. It's it's you know, it's create a distraction, draw the police presence, clear out the roads, let Lindsay switch cars, and then kind of get into basically a, you know another area, another state where. It'll take some time to track her down. She knows she's going to get caught eventually. I feel like that's how it played out with us. I feel like that's how Tom led yep. us. And it that was really effective, I thought. Yeah, I was trying to do that as well. To the cult thing. So I grew up not far from where we said it in Texas. And I grew up around these people. I grew up around John Belfort, you know. So it was, I thought the cult was so well done. Like Matt said, it was believable while not being it was still crazy enough that there was clues that yeah. we're dealing with a crazy man here who drank his own Kool-Aid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. No, I had a, um, I had, I had my share of that upbringing just because um, <laughs> of where I got my, I was, my, I am I'm a single parent kid. So, you know, back in the seventies, my I'm in Cincinnati and my mother's working at Avon and um, it's just me. So she, puts me in a school where they have free after school daycare and um the free after school daycare was um run by a pretty far out right wing um baptist uh um minister who um several years after i left was um arrested and sentenced for things that you can probably imagine <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but um i can sing and for till this day, I can still sing um, all kinds of uh, child-oriented um, uh, religious songs, and you know, a- after school it was basically going to going to right wing Baptist Sunday school, you know, five days a week. So, mm-hmm. wow. Um, because Same background for me, it was free. Hey, ladies that who work at Avon on you know first shifts, and we'll, we'll watch your kids for you. It's so predatory, yeah. That free daycare came with free indoctrination, huh? Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that came across really well, even though she wasn't in a, a daycare situation. But with Regina, when we finally found her and started talking to her, I think one of the things that I picked up on from that was how deeply embedded she is in this in this cult in this religion because she grew up in it. Yeah. Essentially. Oh yeah, she's um yeah she um I you know I can I. It, 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 you know, Regina's kind of an interesting character because, um, you know, I, there's there, there's a little bit of me in that, um, you know, sure. in her. Um, I have health issues. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, at Bible camp, um, not because my mother was super religious, but just because it was free. Um, I had, you know, I can I can. Um, you know, I I have a lot of biblical knowledge, but it's all from being in kindergarten and first grade and second grade. So, um, yep. and you know, and having it hammered into me. 
Um, so, you know, I, I, I know the stories and I know the themes and, you know, here, you know, 50 years later, <laughs> I can play with them a little bit. Yeah. It really comes through because I have the same experience and it felt super real to me. One thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was the, uh, and, and we were having a discussion, I think last week, um, and Tom brought up the trade craft that like George Lewiston brings to the situation. Ah. And we, we kind of talked about that with the shooting at the Walmart, but there's so much, uh, at least in, in the experience that we had of the story, there's so many little details of that, like precision and like how, how well planned that, that, um, okay. that, well, the, the whole plan was, I was, <laughs> I, I, this, this I, you know, I was a, uh, when I was in college, just came to the Miami of Ohio, um, I was a, um, I was a foreign affairs major and we had, I, I had a, a senior grad slash graduate level seminar my last year, which was, um, which was helpfully entitled terrorism. And it was taught by a retired CIA guy. And our final exam was, um, you, you know, you have, you have this much money this much time and this many people destroy a major U.S. city. Holy oh, shit. Wow. And wow. Got an A in the class. And um, <laughs> among the things, well, lessons, le- I mean, the, the class has stuck with me. I actually still have my notes from that class because it was, it made such an impression on me. One of the things that he emphasized, and you'll see this a lot in my writing, is the is the is the importance of taking advantage of the first responders' tendencies to overreact. Um, so mm. act, if you want to rob a bank, blow up another bank on the other side of town. If, sure. yeah. if you want to, yep. if you want to attack downtown Philadelphia, um, blow up a you know blow up the infrastructure in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it's the, it's the let, you know, it's the take advantage, you know, study, study, study the response, take advantage of it and, and always open with a thing. Um, the, mm-hmm. the one thing he said is that, you know, the, the, you know, the studies that have been conducted of, you know, kind of irregular urban warfare always tend to emphasize, um, disrupting the power grid because people, um, People lose their minds when their power goes out, even though, I mean, a hundred years ago, how many people, you know, 150 years ago, I mean, nobody had power. Um, you know, you know, it's gaslight. Um, it, you know, power is a power is an early 20th century thing. But today, power goes out for three days, four days, people lose their minds um, and panic. I mean, literally, they'll panic, yep. if, uh, you know, by day two, day three. Yep. If you take out the water supply, they you know it gets even worse. Um, one of his one of one of one of the one of the classes he taught had to do with a um, a kind of a simulated terrorist attack. And this was this was kind of the lead into the final exam question. It was like a simulated terrorist attack on Philadelphia, and they had you know they posited kind of a small. And this was before two thousand and one. This is in the eighties. Um, they posited kind of a small group. And what would they do? They would take out as much utility infrastructure as they possibly could, and then they'd poison the water. Um, and it, wow. that was that was 
the that was kind of the the threat assessment that the you know the the, mo- the modelers that he was talking about had come up with, and the the rationale was no, you're not going to kill everybody, okay? Um, you're you're you mean you you'll I mean a few people will die when the water goes out or because they need the electricity because of their medical conditions, but if you do enough damage to the infrastructure, the chaos that will result. And then you just kind of need to tip it over the point with um, with a plague scare. So dump some cholera in the water supply after you you knock out the treatment plant. And um, that that was that was uh, and 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 before you go bomb the the water plant, make sure you distract the police with something you know flashy, showy, and but of of little substance and a very little risk of apprehension. So the, the, these lessons, unfortunately, have stuck with me as, as I, you know, my whole life as I grow older. And I'm like, all right, now, how do I want to, like, wreck a city? Or how do I want to distract a police officer? How do I want to, you know, enable a kidnapping that people get away with? I want, I want something that you want something flashier to disguise what's really going on. And it helps it feel grounded. Yeah. I really, I find it really funny that, you know, you were talking about the electricity going out and that's exactly what happens with the hunting whore. And like, even before it shows up, everything goes dark. We know like something horrible is about to happen. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't like it when my power goes out. When my power goes out, if it's out for more than a half an hour, I'm on, I'm trying to figure out how many people is it out on, you know, when's it? You know, what happened? Is it electrical storm? Is it a transformer blow? You know, how long is this going to go on? Do what do I need to do? Do I, what do I, what about my ice cream? I mean, it's, it's all kind of problems, but, um, that we live in the first world. Um, that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of stuff isn't going to bother somebody as much in, you know, in a, in a rural village in West Africa. Um, oh, power's out. Okay. Well, start up the generator, you know? (laughs) I want to ask you a little bit about chasing uh, Lindsay because in our in the story as written, they do such a good job of obfuscating her escape. Um, I I did my own clues, but I'm kind of curious what you recall. What were the clues that you left that are in this story that players typically use to ultimately find Lindsay Peel? They uh, they follow the money um, because one thing that. Um, Okay, you you guys picked up very quickly, and this was very good. You picked up very quickly on the fact that they didn't want to hurt her, okay? That he went back in for the backpack, and that's kind of the iconic opening illustration is that the mother and and, and George are literally having a tug-of-war over the backpack symbolizing symbolizing Regina, Regina. And they don't want to hurt her. The way that almost everyone has found her is eventually they eventually somebody finds the car if they can't figure it out but if they're if they're if they're really on top of things it's it's the medicine is the medicine is what they find and they 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 start they figure that she doesn't have the medicine but they don't want to hurt her so they really start listening and looking closely for things that might look like somebody trying to get the medicine for her yeah, and I, I I saw in your scenario yeah. that there's a mention of um uh, there's a, a pharmacy robbery. There's a there's a there's a break in at a vet. Um, oh, a vet. Yes, that's right. Um, and and if if they go, you know, if they go, aha, um, you know, there's a break in at a vet, and if they they think they'll look into it, um, or yeah, if they start looking at farmer pharma, pharmacy robberies, 
or hospital robberies or ambulance robberies or things of that nature, I will tend to, you know, oh, well, there was a break in at a vet in, um, in Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give that to I'll give that to them if they're if they're looking the right way. So and, and once they find the vet, um, they're in pretty good shape. That's usually on the way there. Once they've gotten the vet clue is usually when I, the hail, I have the hailstorm happen. And when they're walking out or looking around the vet, that's when I usually start having locusts show up. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, one of our, our listeners out also wanted me to mention about the cameras, mm-hmm. that you have kind of a theme about cameras. Can you talk a little bit about how that works yeah, and as part of the story? Be, it would be different today. I did. This is something I, I, I like to be clear about when people ask me about it. This is something that would be different today because 2015 in Cleveland – level of cameras and 2023, um, you know, big urban city cameras are, are very different. And, Oh, sure. Um, so for right, like, for example, in, in 2015 in Cleveland, um, the, the, there were cameras, but they were only in certain places. And if you knew where they were and this, I'm going to get into the Idaho, uh, murders here in a minute. Um, the, uh, if you knew where the cameras were, you could avoid them. Um, one of the th- things that I find, you know, speaking of countermeasures, the one of the things, assuming that you believe that Mr. Koberger is guilty um, of, of the, the murders in Moscow, Idaho, um, one of the interesting things that's in the um, the probable cause affidavit is that um, he took a circuitous route that seemed to have some familiarity with where license plate cameras were and where license plate cameras were not. Um, and. So that would be really important today. Um, cameras, uh, you know, basically the, th- the thematic point is that the eyes of God are always upon you. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nihilism sound um, that, you know, you, you're all, you look up and, oh, there, there they are looking at me again. Um, but in, if I were to write this in 2023, um, it, you'd have to double down on the cameras because they're literally everywhere. I'd have to change the um, escape plan a little bit. Um, to account for the location of license plate cameras, because that that they in 2015 in Cleveland, they license plate cameras really weren't a thing. Um, they were they they had them in places, but they didn't really have them here. So um, you you could you could pretty much avoid much in the way of scrutiny by kind of going the way that that Lindsay went. Um, now I would have her take a completely different route because she'd want to avoid. Um, She'd want to avoid uh, turnstile cameras at, at all costs. Yep. Um, yeah, I think she goes through the toll plaza, um, she, something uh, like that. 2015, that was fine. Um, it wouldn't have been a problem then. Um, now it'd be a big problem um, because mm-hmm. they would. If, if you've ever watched an, a, a post, you know, post last five years episodes of Law and Order, for example, they're constantly getting busted by driving their car into Manhattan and getting picked off. Um, at a, at a uh, at an easy pass turn stop, and that's real. That that yep. that's an excellent point, and it's something that if I were to kind of update it, I'd have to really give some hard thought to about how it is they avoid the camera. Well, and, and extrapolating back to 1993, we have even less. Yeah, There's, even, you know, like, even less coverage. Camera schmamera, just make a big noise. Yep. I'll get away. But actually, uh, on the case or on the subject of uh, license plate cameras, I recently uh, learned about those because somebody um, hit my car and drove away while I was in a parking lot. 
And I contacted the restaurant I was at and they actually were able to provide not only security camera footage of the hit happening, but also license plate camera footage of this car. And I, I was kind of blown away. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been an increasingly uh, it, it, it's really been kind of on the upswing. One thing we have um, one thing we have now in Cleveland that they're just implementing and um, depending on how you feel about this, this is kind of scary. Um, they have, they, they're implementing a software suite in parts of Cleveland right now where it, where, where it can triangulate the the source of gunfire from the sounds on various security cameras. Hey, wow. we, we've got that. <laughs> I live in the San Francisco Bay area and they have that here. Yeah. Yeah. That technology is, uh, is fascinating. I don't, I don't, Frightening is not the right word, but it's very fascinating and yeah. it's it's surprisingly accurate. Yeah, at least in my experience in the, yeah, the criminal. Field. Yeah, I mean that's not. I mean that's just that is really that's just that's a matter of um, getting. I mean the science is very sound. It's just you know it's analyzing the Doppler effects um, that are being picked up on the camera if the sound is loud and sharp enough. But I mean it's just getting the algorithms right to be able to triangulate it quickly is. is it, it was the technical stumble, and they, they obviously they've overcome it. So, I want to ask um, first the rest of the guys. Do you guys have other questions, things you want to ask about? Uh, I I do have one, uh, and it's from my one of my, my dear friends who uh, listened to almost the whole show. Uh, it was a joke question at first, but then we kind of realized no, it's actually a good question. Um, why a ladybug? Um, why ladybug? Um, well, there, there's, there's two, there's a couple, couple reasons for that. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's basically at the time I wrote it anyway, it was, it was more, they, they, I, they seem to see the things everywhere. The little ladybug backpacks. Um, yeah. The, um, you know, they're, it, it, it's kind of emblematic of, you know, the quote, the cute little girl with the ladybug backpack. There's right. white girl missing syndrome is, is, oh. is a real thing. And they're, um, when I run this game, um, the last, it's been the last time I ran it, I tend to run it with, from, with media. I, I, I have the, I have the, the quote investigators who are responding to this be, be a, a news team. And okay. They, um, they play up the, and they're encouraged to play up the whole missing little white girl angle for, with as much cynicism as they can, because, mm. It works, unfortunately. People hear that a little white girl's missing, and um, you know they and they react. Um, as it, it, it's sad. It's, you know, it's not just, but it, 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 it's true. Um, mm-hmm. The um, so it's it for it's kind of emblematic of of you know a, a missing little girl for me. Um, but also it's it's the it's the nursery rhyme: "Ladybug, ladybug, fly away home. Your house is on yeah. fire. Your children's alone." Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that about how that that nursery rhyme figured into it because we obviously found that pretty quick. Yeah. Um. Just you know, I don't know if it was from Googling or somebody knew about it, but um. Yeah. yeah all, all except for little Ann, who's home asleep in a frying pan. So it, it, it <laughs> right. an allusion to the fact that sending her home isn't a very good idea. Ah, yeah. Good okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic answer. Thank you. Uh, I got one more question for you. Um, so you mentioned that uh, plenty of people end up killing Regina. Mm-hmm. Um, do do many people end up summoning uh, the angel of the Passover? No, that was that was special, guys. 
um, that was nice. Um, you get, I mean, I mean, you got you. What are you? Your one character obviously had prior knowledge of what was of what Nyarlathotep was, so you know was able to kind of piece that together. Usually, a lot of people, you know, and I've seen a lot of commentary. A lot of people use it as as an introductory modern adventure, and I do think it's pretty well suited for that because it does kind of posit a certain amount of, um, even if you have out-of-game knowledge, it, it, the scenario works best when the players have to be convinced that something horrible is going on. So Okay. Yeah, mm. yeah, that makes sense. And I think my, my character, uh, Dorothy, her background with just like the, the occult and esoteric in general mm-hmm. definitely helped, but it really was a conversation with um, Dr. Fulani, uh, a character from the Delta Green mythos, right that really kind of sparked her in that direction. But yeah, it was, it was cool. It's one of my favorite parts of what we, uh, what we ended up playing. I was that character. I was the one that needed to be convinced yeah. and learn too <laughs> late. I mean, cause in the material you, the, uh, they did hide the ritual within a little code within his, his, um, his book of the Passover angel. Cults often, cults often do that to see who's, um, to see who's really paying attention. Yep, and then but they try to do it in a kind of a, a plausibly deniable way. What is wait, 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 you, you're seeing something in here about you know Norlato and Wagglenoggle? You're just crazy. There's nothing real, <laughs> but <laughs> there really is something there, and you're one of the few who were able to see it. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun um, <laughs> digging into the uh, the background and the backstory quite a bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, um, any other questions, guys? No, not that I know of. Excellent. Yep. Yeah, All right. That, that covers everything. Hey guys, so, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you uh, having me on. I, I, I always enjoy. Uh, always enjoy talking to people about uh, whatever stuff. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you for uh, for coming and joining us. Well, this was fascinating from my point of view. I really enjoyed this. Yep. Uh, Likewise. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm. I, I'm really. I'm really grateful that you agreed to talk to us about this story. We 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 love the story. Obviously. And uh, we're really happy to have had the chance to speak to you about it. And, and thank you for taking the time to, to listen to our show. It means a lot. Yeah. Okay, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. All right, good. Th- thanks very much, Jeff, for, for, for meeting with us. And um, take care. Okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yep. stories all the little worries you cry they tell me what the world needs what to say who to please where my loyalty should lie
travel, the trials and the battles.